Let's open our Bibles, please. Let's open our Bibles today, please, to the book of Mark. The book of Mark. The story for today is uh, one of those few stories that are meant that is mentioned each time in all four Gospels. Last week I told you there are only 11 of the, the events of Christ's life that are mentioned four times in the Gospels. There's about 250 separate events about Christ's life mentioned in, the, in those Gospels, but only 11 of them have this emphasis that they're mentioned in all four. Today we want to begin reading in Mark chapter 15, verse number 42. Now when evening had come, because it was the preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member. Joseph was a, a member of the Supreme Court of Israel. Uh, that's one of the highest offices of the land. But he has become a believer in Jesus. The Bible says here he was a prominent councilman. He himself was waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. I know that all of us from time to time in our life, some of us quite often have to take courage, right? We have to do some things that are really hard to do. And we kind of say to ourselves, can I really do this? Lord, help me. I think that was Joseph of Arimathea as he came before Pilate and he asked for the body of Christ. Pilate marveled that he was already dead and some of the centurion, he asked him if he had been dead for some time. So when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Then he bought fine linen and took him down and wrapped him in the linen and he laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of rock and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, observed where he was laid. Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of Jesus, uh, the mother of James and of Salome, uh, brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? And when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting at the right side, and they were alarmed. This young man was none other than an angel. And most of the time in the Bible, whenever people see angels, uh, they are afraid. This is exactly what happened right here. But he said to them, do not be afraid, alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here for the place where he was, where they laid him. But go tell the disciples and Peter that he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. The word Easter actually means in the original language of the Bible, Passover. This was Passover time. Jesus was making his way uh, into Jerusalem that whole week. Can remember Palm Sunday? Uh, all the way up through the week, Jesus was going to Jerusalem to become the final sacrifice for the sins of the world. The final Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's Jesus. Now, Sunday morning, Easter Sunday morning, is God's 
exclamation point on the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus referred to the crucifixion and resurrection throughout his ministry. Remember last week I talked to you about Jesus cleansing the temple, and I'm always amazed when he does that because he did it twice according to the Bible, one in the beginning of his ministry and one at the end. But when he did it at the beginning of his ministry, they came up to him and they accepted it and they said, okay, tell us, by what authority do you do this? And uh, they said, show us a miracle and we'll believe you. Well, this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? But Jesus was speaking of the temple of his body. And so in the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, he made this prophecy. Okay, you want a miracle? I'm going to give you one. You destroy this temple, my body, three days, I'm going to raise it up. They didn't get it. They wanted it right then, but Jesus wanted to wait to the end of his ministry so it would be the crowning conclusion of Christ's ministry on earth. This was his most important miracle. He would do it last. On Friday, after they put Jesus' body in the tomb, the women returned home and began to prepare spices. On Saturday, they rested according to the commandment. They probably didn't know that Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea had already taken quite a lot of spices to the tomb already. And as they traveled, they were worried about who would roll away the stone. Uh, But when they got there, they were surprised that the stone was already rolled away. And as they traveled to the empty tomb, they probably saw a silhouette of crosses. The bodies have been taken down. And so we have this image today everywhere around the world. When you see three crosses standing side by side, it always refers to one thing, doesn't it? The story of the crucifixion of Christ. And so uh, the cross still has its ignominious reputation But there is a new dimension to the cross now. It means more than torture. It means victory. It means complete forgiveness. The cross was a torturous thing, and many people would have loved to have exited this life in some other way, but some people didn't have the choice. This was the Romans' means of crucifixion. And in Mark chapter 15, verse 46, they took him down. Friday has come back in their mind as they walk to the empty tomb. The Romans officially pronounced Jesus dead on that Friday, and they allowed Joseph, this rich man, to come and gather the body up. And he and his um, partner, Nicodemus, remember, uh, they were very quiet. Actually, the Bible says they were secret disciples. They were very quiet about Jesus in their, in their, in their life, but now in, in Jesus' death, they came out of the closet, so to speak. Uh, and it's interesting, at this time, all the people that were very loud for Jesus in his life were now hiding, and they had run away. This tomb that uh, Joseph of Arimathea gave to Jesus was his own tomb. I think it was a quite a nice tomb because he was rich. It was reported that some of Joseph's friends were so surprised that Joseph, this rich man, would give Jesus, this insurrectionist, allow him to be buried in his own tomb. 
And so Joseph of Arimathea justified by telling his friends, oh, he just needed it for the weekend. It wasn't a permanent arrangement. You know, the cross uh, was covered with blood on that day, as you know. The crown of thorns around his head, the pierce in his side, the nails in his hands and feet. Um, This Friday, that Friday, the crucifixion Friday, that first one was not looked upon as good Friday. There was nothing good that day, it seemed. But now you and I know this to be good Friday, the Friday before today. Resurrection Sunday. And the reason why we know this and call it Good Friday is because of all of the goodness that flowed to you and to me because of Good Friday. Uh, words could never express the goodness that God has given you, God has given me, because of the blessing of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. The cross is a symbol of forgiveness, isn't it? Why? Because when Jesus went to the cross, his mind was on forgiveness. Many of you have studied the seven last sayings of Christ. They're famous. You can go on the Internet and find them in chronological order. When Jesus died on the cross, he said seven things. The first one was this. It was a prayer to God, his Father. He said, Father, forgive them. And what's the rest of it? They know not what they do. Okay, that was a prayer. He didn't pray, Father, forgive me, because he was sinless. He didn't mean that those who were crucifying him were excusable for their actions. But they they were forgivable. Now, I believe that this is the greatest crime in all of history, the crucifixion of Christ. And so what Jesus is saying right here is these people were not beyond the bounds of forgiveness. How bad can a person be? To receive forgiveness from God. It doesn't matter how bad a person has been or where they've been or what they've done. Jesus offers to forgive them. This indeed is the worst right here. But you know, forgiveness is personal. It's personal faith, personal repentance. Uh, Forgiveness is not imparted to us because a person attends church regularly or gives money to the Lord serves the church, or does anything that they kind of use as good works in order to get them into heaven. There's only one work that God accepts for our soul salvation. Now, always remember this, only one work, one work, and that's the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. And when Jesus was praying to his father in John chapter 17, he used that very word. He said, I have finished the work which you've given me to do. And so, if you go to heaven or I go to heaven, it won't be on our own merits. It will be simply on the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ, his work for you, for me on the cross. Well, Jesus prayed this prayer, Father, forgive them. And almost immediately, God answered his prayer. Because Luke 23, 43 says this, Assuredly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. And you know the story there. There were... uh, Two thieves crucified, one on either side of Christ, and one didn't repent, but one did, and one said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, sure, I will. You'll be with me in paradise. Now, that's a pretty comforting thought, isn't it? Some people believe that Jesus went to hell after he was taken down from the cross and suffered punishment for sin in hell. 
But in his own words, he said he gave us the destination that he was going. He said, today you will be with me where? Paradise, right? Uh, I think that was good news for the thief dying on the cross. The payment, the suffering that Jesus made was on the cross. Isaiah in the Old Testament prophesied it. In Isaiah chapter 53, he said, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Well, this moment of sacrifice, this moment of being separated from God, I think is verbalized when Jesus made his fourth statement. You're familiar with it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, in some mystical way, Jesus, who said he was God, was somehow separated from God, which we can't explain, for a period of time, because that's the payment for sin. The wages of sin is separation from God. And some, in some mystical way, Jesus cried out in horror, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then the sixth statement, he said, it is finished. And in the original language, it means it's paid in full. Uh, there is nothing ever to be paid for your soul salvation other than what Jesus paid for you upon the cross. I know that a lot of people say, well, you know, if I live for the Lord, won't I have to, like, produce? Won't I have to do something? No, you never have to do anything for your soul's salvation because the payment's already made. But when the Holy Spirit comes into your heart, you will be compelled, you will be impelled to do something for Christ. Isn't that born in the heart of every Christian? I want to serve Christ. Well, Jesus said it's finished. You know, this is a mark of the follower of Jesus. Jesus' desire was to forgive, and he forgave the thief on the cross. When a person becomes a Christian, they have a desire to forgive too. I never will forget the day one of the members of our church sat in my office, and she had just been saved. She gave her life to Christ, and you know what she said? She said, now I can love my father again. I was touched. I'm still touched to think of that. Because when Christ comes into your life, no matter what kind of a past you had and no matter what happened in your home, there is this, this birth of forgiveness that he gives to you as a Christian that you want to share. Some of you have heard about William Booth. He was a man long forgotten in our society because, you know, we're not good at remembering history. He was the founder of the Salvation Army. One of the main tenets of the Salvation Army was serving others with humility. He started the Salvation Army, and they were having a big convention toward the end of his life. The year was 1910. And he was so in ill health that he couldn't go. And so what he did is he wrote a message for those who gathered in the convention. And it was to be read to all of the people who came. The announcer got up and said, William Booth is unable to be here today. He's in ill health, but he sent us a message. They opened the message and they read it, and it had one word on it. Others. Signed, William Booth. William Booth lived his life for other people. 
At age 15, he was saved. And he wrote in his diary this, God shall have all there is of William Booth. William Booth, when he died, listen to this. 150,000 people came by his casket. His funeral drew 40,000 people, one of whom was Queen Mary. William Booth was known as the prophet of the poor. He was born in poverty and he worked among the poor his whole life. He was not the supreme example of living a life for others. Jesus was. Never did someone give up so much to come down and give, a, give that to you and to me more than Christ. He had so much more to give. But William Booth was inspired by the life of Jesus. In John chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus said, If I am lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all people to myself. And you know, when you talk about the cross of Jesus Christ, Christ paying the penalty for our sins, the wrath of God being satisfied, the justice of God was satisfied, the wrath of God was poured out upon him on the cross, Jesus became our substitute. I don't know what that does to you, but I'll tell you what it does to me. It humbles me that the very Son of God would go on the cross for me. Who am I? Who am I? You know, the empty cross wouldn't mean very much if it weren't for the empty tomb. The empty tomb validated all that Jesus said. You know, anybody can come and make a lot of big claims, but the empty tomb proved that what Jesus said was real. The empty tomb means that we live again. That's what it means. And so we're here in this church today, and all of us are traveling on our earthly journey. But one of these days, we'll come to the end of it, won't we? Some of us sooner than others. All of us will go across the great expanse, the unknown divide. And uh, the good news is, we live again, because that's what Jesus said. As they traveled on that day to the place of the tomb, they thought, how are we going to move the, the rock? The soldiers, the seals, the stones, uh, they could not stop the plan of God. From the moment that Jesus took up his body again, came out of paradise, put his grave clothes aside, and he set out on a journey to appear to his disciples. Now, this body of ours will be placed in the ground one day, but the good news is this, it's not the end. One day, your family will call the undertaker, Unless you meet up with the upper taker first. Unless the Lord comes back and raptures you to heaven. Now I know that all of you would like that. I was having a funeral one time and an undertaker was there and I told them we were looking forward to the upper taker and I, I don't think he'll ever be the same. Uh, he, had, he hadn't heard that. Those who embrace Jesus as their personal savior will go to paradise or to heaven. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me, though he die, he shall live. Now, we are banking our future on the claims of Christ. And the reason why we can trust Christ is because he came out of that tomb. If his body was still in there, and we had heard nothing more from him, we could have just gone on our way. But uh, Jesus said in John 14, 19, a little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. 
Because I live, you shall live also. There's life beyond the grave. Ever since that time, the fear of death has fled. You know, Paul was talking about the resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I like that whole thing. And when he gets to the end, it's almost like he mocks death. That's right. It's almost like he mocks death. I can see him put his hands up on his hips and say, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not afraid of you, is what he was saying. We're not afraid of death anymore. Why? Because you can't threaten the Christian with heaven, can you? It's not much of a threat. Now, we know that we have to lay this earthly body down because flesh and blood cannot enter, enter the, spirit, the kingdom of God. But that's when our spirit is set free. Well, why did Jesus do all this? Well, he did it because of our empty lives. You know, there are a lot of people today going through the religious exercise of drawing closer to God, and they will be no closer to God than they were yesterday. Because no amount of religious exercises can get anyone any closer to God. In fact, when Jesus came, he came to liberate people from religion. Because religion kept putting new rules and new regulations and new stipulations on these people. And they were so burdened down. And this is what Jesus said. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am meek and lowly. You'll find rest to your soul. Jesus is not about religion. Jesus is about a relationship. Jesus knows you. He wants you to know him. He already knows you. He loves you. He died upon the cross. And he looks into your heart and he finds this empty spot there. You know, people trudging through life trying to do it on their own. When we're born, we have a spiritual deficit. We really do. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this, God has put eternity in our hearts. And I love this. In every person, there is a hole in your life that is God-sized. Only God will fill that hole. And what we do is we go through life and we try to jam all the things that we can find in that hole so we can feel good, so we can feel satisfied. And so we do our career and we put it in there and that doesn't work. And we do our education and we jam that in there and that doesn't work. And we jam all of our hobbies in there and all the things that we can buy and all the things that we can go in debt to get. And we put it all in there and we still come up empty because there's this empty hole in our life. But when we accept Jesus as our Savior and he steps into our life by faith, it's almost like a ship that was out in the ocean in a storm that comes into the port in a calm place and rest. You know, when Jesus comes into your life, you can honestly say, I've begun to discover the purpose for which I was born. We can honestly say that. John MacArthur says this, God made man with an eternal purpose and nothing in this world can bring that person complete satisfaction outside of Jesus Christ. And you know, when you have Jesus, you don't have to have anything else. You know that? 
You don't need anything else to make you happy. Because he fills that longing in your heart for God. There are people searching all over today. They don't know how to find it. Well, Jesus said, listen, I'm going to go away. And I'm, when I go away, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. John 14, he says, and I'll pray the Father. He'll give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. For he dwells with you. He'll be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The Holy Spirit Uh, When we accept Jesus as our Savior and we call out to God, He sends His Spirit. The Spirit is known as the Comforter. He guides us. He comforts us. He counsels us. Everything we need, uh, the Lord provides through the Holy Spirit. When I was a kid growing up, my mother gave me a Bible. Um, You know, one of those old black ones with the red, all the red on the side of it. Um, And I, I would take it up to my room and I would close the door and hope that nobody saw me reading it. And I tried to open that Bible as a young kid and read that, and it didn't make any sense to me. And I tried time and time again to make sense of the Bible. And it wasn't until I accepted Jesus as my Savior that the Bible made sense to me. And now I have to go on record this morning to say to you that I am addicted to the Bible. And the reason why is because when you accept the author of the Bible, who is the Holy Spirit... He teaches you to love His Word. Because it's in the Bible that we get our directions for life. It really is. Well, I think the, the Romans guards were probably saying whenever uh, Jesus was resurrected from the tomb, well, we're, we're having a bad day. We didn't do our job. Maybe one of them said, well, it won't matter in a hundred years. Everybody will forget. But a hundred years from then... There were more people that remembered. And listen, 2,000 years have gone by, and there are a whole lot more that remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're not forgetting. In his Sunday school class several weeks before Easter, Philip's teacher introduced a special project. He gave every member a plastic egg. He explained that each child was to go outside find a symbol of new life and put it in the egg. Enthusiastically, the class responded. Back in the classroom, the eggs were opened one at a time, and each child explained the meaning of the symbol that they put in the egg. In the first egg, there was a pretty flower. In the next, a beautiful butterfly. Another was green grass. The children oohed and awed. In another was a rock, which prompted some laughter. Finally, the last egg was open. There was nothing in that egg. The kids said, that's stupid. Uh, Another grumbled, someone didn't do it right. The teacher felt a tug on his shirt. It was Philip who said, that's mine. I did do it right. It's empty because the tomb of Christ is empty. There was an unusual, thoughtful silence. And strangely, from that time on, Philip who was the special child of the class, was accepted as part of the group. Philip continued to struggle with many physical problems. That summer, he picked up an infection, which most children would have easily shaken off, but Philip's weak body couldn't fight it. And a few weeks later, he died. At his funeral, nine eight-year-old children came with their teacher, and they brought 
symbols of remembrance to be placed near his coffin. Their unusual gift of love to Philip wasn't flowers. It was an empty egg. Now a symbol to them of new life and hope. It was Philip, the different child who had helped his friends understand about the message of Easter. The reason why today we can walk out of this church and not have to worry when we die is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, because I live, you shall live also. That's you. That's me. That's everyone who places their faith and trust in Christ. You know, the greatest thing in all the world is to know where you're going when you die, don't you think? I think you can handle anything if you know that fact. Well, when you have Christ in your heart, you have that confidence. I'm trusting Jesus. I believe in what he said. He's pretty powerful. He rose from the dead. Now, how do you make sense of this whole message? I know that this message is being given uh, all over the world today. It's the message of Easter, the resurrection. Now, the final piece has to be your response to the invitation of Christ. He did this all for you. And I know it's easy for you to say, well, he did it for my friend because they really need God in their life. But listen, everybody needs God in their life. Everybody needs forgiveness. He did it for you. And so how do we get it? Romans 10, 13 tells us, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall what? Be saved. And one day I took that first word out, whoever, and I put my name in there. And I called on Jesus, and he did something in my heart. He sent his spirit into my life. And he gave me the assurance that I did not have to fear death. And since that time, I have realized every day of my life, I have not been alone. He is with me. And he wants that for everyone, and that's the reason why I went to the cross. So that you can have Christ in your heart and you can go to bed at night with Jesus in your life and wake up in the morning with Christ there too. And it's all for you. All you have to do is come to him as a humble child and say, Lord, save me. I believe in you. Come into my heart. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, I'm sure that in our church this morning there are some people that you've been trying religion and you know that that doesn't work. Going to church, trying to be better, doing this and doing that, and still there is this big hole in your life. Of course, it was never made for church. It was never made for you doing good works. It was just made for the person of Christ. Jesus and him alone. He offers you the gift of eternal life by faith, and all you have to do is Reach out and accept his gift. And so where you sit this morning, you can make it your altar. And you can pray a prayer like this, not out loud, but in your heart. Dear Lord, I need you. I want you. I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Taking my place of punishment that I deserved. Forgive me of my sins, Lord, and I accept your forgiveness now. Come into my heart. Come in today. Come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. I guarantee you, if you pray that prayer from the bottom of your heart, 
Jesus will come into your heart. He'll change your life if you're ready for it. You'll wake up tomorrow and you'll say, hey, listen, I'm not alone today. I've got Christ. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this time that we can meet together to celebrate this incredible resurrection. I pray that as uh, we come to the conclusion of the service, that you will move among us, Lord. Save those people who are seeking you right now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together as we sing our invitation song. And if you'd like to come and pray at the altar this morning, you can. About anything going on in your life or the life of a friend as we sing together.